The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by... Hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher, and you are listening to the New Age Christian Podcast. This is episode number 45, and it is our fifth episode of the Path to Enlightenment series. Today, we are going to go over the conscientious conscientious individuals amongst us from the DISC personality profile. Hopefully, you've been enjoying the, uh, the series on the DISC personality profiles and how they relate to the Path to Enlightenment. This is an episode all about people like me, the type of guy that would do a multiple part series on how to find enlightenment is the type of person who likes data and information and as many details as you can give me, I love it because it makes me more certain of what I'm teaching. It makes me more certain of what I'm feeling and thinking I am a C. So if you're a C, you're going to love it and you've probably loved all the episodes because you like the data anyway. So... (laughs) I've enjoyed it. Hope you are too. Let's get started and have a good time. All right. To all of my fellow high seas out there, I give you a high five. I don't know that was super cheesy opening, but... uh, (laughs) I've been looking forward to this episode since the beginning because I get to talk about myself. Um, those of you who know me know that I am a high C. I've, that's the trait, especially when I do professional things. My C goes through the roof, uh, and I'll explain what that means. You know, as far as what a C is, of course, that's what this episode is about. But um, kind of a quick, brief reminder. You know, we're going over the DISC personality profile, so it's D I S C. And the DISC personality, it's there. It's an acronym for Dominant, Influencer, Steadfast, and Conscientious. I came across DISC personality profiles, oh, I don't know, probably in college. And uh, I grew up in a household uh, with my mom who was training to become a counselor. And she used Personality Plus, which that breaks down personalities very similarly. But it calls them sanguine, melancholy, phlegmatic, and choleric. And... Uh, if you know anything about that, the melancholy traits are very similar to the C. The choleric traits are very similar to the D. The sanguine traits are very similar to the I. And the phlegmatic traits are very similar to the S. So it's a lot of overlap. And I've known these things for a long time, but it wasn't until I got into DISC more in detail. And honestly, through Danny Silk's teaching that I've referenced multiple times, know yourself, know your team, that I really began to start to see the value of knowing these different things about people and specifically knowing this about myself. Um, you know, I am, I've been going through some stuff in this last year that has challenged the hell out of my, my maturity, my understanding of God, my understanding of myself and doing this series and going through and seeing like, I have a lot of I in me as well. Um, I don't have a lot of D, but I have people in my life who are, I don't have a lot of S, but I have people in my life who are, it's been so eye opening to see, just how these personalities play themselves out in real life. And oh my gosh, if I can adjust my behavior just a little bit to give somebody what it is that they need, 
for their personality. If I can be more mature and stretch myself, sure, I may not be the type of person that can be very blunt and, you know, I'm an influencer with the eye side of me. I would rather persuade you to agree with me instead of overcome your argument, right? And so, but there's certain people that just need, you need to be blunt with, right? And then obviously those are D's and some C's in there. Um, and other people need, you know, if it's not fun, it's not worth doing. And so super heavy, mature, always serious people, eyes drive them nuts. And so it, how to stretch yourself and uh, adapt. I'm going to talk a bit more about that in the next episode and do my best to kind of wrap up a whole lot of concepts that I haven't been able to talk about with personality profiles, largely because I've been focusing on what a high D is, a high I, a high S, and a high C. So, but I'm saying all of this, as a high C, it has been extremely helpful for me and what I'm going through in my life to go through this series uh, the last few weeks, because (laughs) I have... I have realized the the areas in which I could have done better or the areas in which I mis I misinterpreted uh, somebody's behavior or their words or what they were doing and uh, I thought less of somebody or I thought more of somebody because I expected them to be like me or I you know you get the point right if we can truly understand who people are and their strengths and their weaknesses if somebody has a weakness you don't want to constantly put something over them that says, oh, you're better than this, you're better than this. Because what you're really doing is you're not acknowledging who they really are. And you're also continually putting a measurement against them that says you're not good enough, you're not good enough. That's another thing I've learned in this last year is is honoring people who they really are. Not who they wish they were or who you wish they were, but who they really are. Can you still love them for who they are, not who they could be? Figuring out where things really stand and then finding peace and love and honor inside of that has absolutely been, I say it's it's one of the most beautiful and challenging lessons that I've ever learned in my life. And these, the series and this season for me has taught me how to love people where they're really at and for who they really are. And I tell you, it's a much nicer way to live. Um, You're not, you're not constantly living with this tension of wishing people would change and wishing things would change and wishing, you know, your, your cult, your scenario would change. So I'm excited to do this particular one because it is a lot about me. But overall, as you learn with C's, they love the data. They love the information. I've really enjoyed all four of these episodes uh, leading up to this because it has been a really good reminder. And I hope you guys have enjoyed it as well. I've gotten a lot of good feedback from people from the episodes and, and kind of stirring up the conversation of relationships and aha moments about, oh my gosh, that's why I do that, or that's why they do that. And it is funny, you know, the, the reason these behaviors are, uh, were predictable, because there's only so many ways you can be human. And uh, we are predictable, and it gets, and when you start calling out those behaviors, those predictable behaviors, it can be pretty, pretty humorous because, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's you. Oh my gosh, that's me. I so do that. You do that all the time. And uh, it's pretty scary how accurate it can be. So, conscientious individuals are high C's. Remember, all of these are, this isn't if you just have some C in you, everyone does. But if you're a high C, you're going to uh, model these behaviors in a very uh, stark way. Again, next week we're going to get into how most people's personalities have blends, and I'm going to try to do my best to explain examples of that and and how the blends matter. 
But um, for high C's, their emphasis is on working conscientiously within existing circumstances to ensure quality and accuracy. So another way to say it is they're very intentional about figuring out what is so that they can be the best, so they can do the best. They they are um, obsessed with intentionality and conscientiousness. The idea of an I that just talks verbally and just can talk for 20 minutes and then get to the end of it and be like, nah, I'm not sure I believe any of that. It just said a C is largely going to be like, how on earth, how on earth can you <laughs> just talk for 20 minutes and not be really aware of what you're really saying, right? It seems unconscious. It seems just like a waste of time and mumbo jumbo. And the emphasis for a C is to have conscientious intent filled engagement within existing circumstances to ensure quality and accuracy. And we'll get to that, you know, in existing circumstances versus trying to change the world. They're trying to adapt the, and understand what is. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit more when we get into the quadrants. But the drivers for a C is the need to be right. And uh, as a high C, I can tell you at least, at least a mature, hopefully mature high C, that it's not about being right when it comes to arguments and it's not about being right when it comes to, you know, intrapersonal drama. It is about being right when it comes to the use of logic inside of an argument or drama or whatever. And that they're not concerned about defending their emotions. They're actually more concerned about finding the best answer, the most logical answer. Even if it, even if it means they're wrong, it's the search for being right that's important if that makes sense. Because you could start out with the wrong answer, the wrong feeling, the wrong emotion. But a C is the type of person, they're, they're the type of people, a mature C are the type of people you love to have an argument with, because they will listen to better logic, because they want to be right. They don't want to be wrong. And if you can prove to them that they are wrong, they will, they will get on your side in a second. There's no emotional, uh, well, very... Most of the time, there's no like emotional reason to hold on to an idea just because it's stupid. You know, other people who, other personalities who might be more interested in being right for the sake of looking good, C's want to be right because they value the right answer. Forget about them. It's about the answer that they're looking for. So they don't mind being wrong if you can prove it to them. I know this because this is how I have done my spiritual journey. I could give two shits about being wrong. I'm wrong all the time. I've done episodes and writing articles on the journey and the growth. If I was obsessed with being right as Austin, I wouldn't grow as fast and, and in the weird, crazy ways I do. I'm not obsessed with being right as Austin. It's not my identity that needs to be right. It is I need to find the right answer because I do believe there are right answers. And if I'm wrong, so be it. Prove it to me. And if you prove it to me, I'm on your side, sold, no questions asked. There's no offended, butthurt reason why I need to defend a stupid answer. If it's wrong, it's wrong. So the need to be right is the driver. And for a lot of C's, it is actually takes the form of the need for security. Like why would I make, you know, if you go into business or you go into relationships, why would I make this decision if I don't know it's going to work? Why would I take this step if I'm not sure what the outcome is going to be? So security and certainty is a big kind of, I need to be right so that I can be secure. 
Now, the lie that uh, C's have to deal with is essentially the fear of failure and the fear of mistakes. C's, because they need to be right, heaven forbid they ever find out, as Danny says, heaven forbid that they ever find out they're human and they make a mistake. Because if you make a mistake, it doesn't mean you failed, it means you are a failure, right? And it becomes an identity-based failure failure that says, I was wrong, therefore I wasn't a good enough C because I made the wrong decision. And the fear of failure will ride them around like a pony forever. And uh, the that lie gets completely exacerbated and, and magnified by shame. And shame comes around and exaggerates those mistakes and those failures because it does become an identity thing. It's not it's not a task oriented thing. It becomes a I it becomes a me oriented thing. And so if you're a C and you've made sizable mistakes in your past, there's a good chance that you internalized it so much so that you think it's who you are. Uh, you are the person who doesn't know how to X, Y, and Z, and you aren't any good at A, B, and C, instead of realizing you made a mistake. So for me, a per- little personal side, you know, I've started a lot of businesses and I've had some, I've had some magnificent failures. And I was starting to believe that I was a failure. And I've had enough people in my life kind of tell me, hey, Austin, you're so smart. You're so capable. Why haven't you gotten anything off the ground? Why haven't you, why aren't you a billionaire by now? You should be really well off. And I've turned down opportunities and I've, because I've pursued certain ideas. And um, it started to wear on me. And I started to realize that I was, that I was believing in identity and of being a failure. And I, it was last, just almost a year ago, had uh, lunch with my grandfather and my dad and and I hadn't seen my grandfather for about 20 years and they reconnected and and this was an opportunity for me and my wife to meet my grandfather and talk and we had lunch and I asked him you know how many businesses he had started over his life and he said 60 or 70 and I'm at I'm in the mid 20s I think uh, as far as how many businesses and I realized that I had a lot of my grandfather's Uh, drive in me. And I asked him if he had ever failed. And he just looked at me and he said, of course I did. But I figured if I succeeded 51% of the time, I was a success. And I had allowed this sense of failure to become such a part of my identity that the simplicity of that answer kind of blew me away. Like he is a professional entrepreneur who had plenty of successes. I had plenty of failures, but he never internalized them to being that his identity. He said, "Well, yeah, I'm. I started businesses. I had failures. That's what. That's what you do." And it kind of broke these chains off of me, realizing, like, "Oh, I have failed, but I'm not a failure." And it was a lie that I was believing. And I can very much tell you that it's a very real lie for C's. Is that if you look back on your life and you look back on things that you failed at, um, you can easily let that become the thing that you're not any good at, and the thing that you this that. And no, you just. You failed. You made a mistake. You're human. It's okay. So each one of these personalities, as you know, if you've been listening to the previous episodes, they have a an emotion that they uh, largely exhibit when they are feeling powerless. And in the case of C's, it is fear. 
And it is, as Danny Silk says, it's Henny Penny. It's the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Run away. Turn back. Go away. Run away. We're all going to die. And the reason C's largely respond with fear is because of where they fit on the quadrants, which we'll talk about in a second. But they, they believe the environment is stronger than them. And they believe the environment is unfavorable, right? And so basically they are surrounded by problems. And high seas are always surrounded by problems that need to be fixed and they can't fix largely because they don't, they don't walk around with the belief that they can change their environment, uh, naturally speaking anyway. They want to try to understand it. They want to try to unpack it so that, and largely so that they can protect themselves because they want to be secure in an unsafe environment and an unsafe world. And so when they are feeling powerless and insecure, insert the fear. And uh, that is their power. And then their, and then their quote unquote greatest fear from you know being in in living and being is to be wrong. Being wrong to a C is akin to <laughs> being a liar, <laughs> because they're so certain of what they believe that if they have to, if they ever have to admit that they were wrong, you can see that it is a big freaking deal for a C to admit when they're wrong. And for me, it's a lot of my I trait. And again, I said earlier, this kind of can sound backwards that, you know, C's don't care if they're wrong personally, it's that they want to be right for the answer. So their biggest fear is that all of that searching, searching for the right answer ended up causing a problem and they were wrong. And again, if you can prove to them that they were wrong, it's less about them or their emotions and more about their identity is like, oh, I, I'm not good at my humanness. I'm not good at be doing my math. And so if you can catch them in the moment of math and making conclusions, they'll change on a dime. But if once they've made their conclusion, it becomes significantly more of a challenge for them to admit that they were wrong. And uh, it, it can be, you can, I've watched some C's get stuck. There's one person I will rename nameless. Uh, I don't think they listen to this podcast anyway. But uh, a friend of a friend that is such a high C that uh, their spiritual journey has essentially gone stagnant because they're afraid of being wrong. They can draw no conclusions about anything because how would you know? You don't really know X, Y, you don't really know what this was about or what really this verse was about. And so no conclusions are being drawn because they don't want to be wrong. And that is the high C gone amok and it is absolutely a short-circuited version of that need for data, you can get to the point where you have a, a paralysis by analysis. And I've seen C's do that. They're the ones that, that they end up making no decision because they can't have a definitive answer. And they don't realize that the world can be gray sometimes. They really like black and white. So when it comes to the quadrants, C's are the bottom left of the circle. So they're the left side when it comes to they are task oriented. And so they're not very people oriented in the sense of uh, often they're introverts, they're internal processors, and they want the data. Uh, C's can be fairly blunt, not unlike D's. A lot of uh, that's why people think I'm a D because I have I am a CI. So I'm I am I can be blunt when it comes to certain things, and I'm a verbal processor. So it seems like I'm just really dominant and forward moving. Uh, but uh, C's do have elements of that bluntness and that task-orientedness. And um, if the data is true, then damn your emotions. I'm sorry. You know, that's 
there's a measure of uh, bulldozery uh, feeling to a C that's really, really data driven. It can feel like the data is more important than your feelings. And, uh, that's that side of the quadrant. Uh, on the bottom side of the quadrant, you have the fact that they are more deliberate. So D's are task oriented, but they're fast paced. C's are task oriented, but they're deliberate deliberate. Uh, they're like what Danny Silk says in his video of, you know, ready, aim, ready, ready. <laughs> like the idea of ready, aim, fire, taking a very long time versus a D, it's ready, fire, aim. And eyes are typically ready, fire, aim. So they are more deliberate. And especially since they're task oriented and data oriented, they're arguably the slowest of all of these personalities because they are not really worried about what other people think and they're all concerned about being right. And that often ends up being making D or C's very slow to change and slow to uh, making decisions. So, uh, and then they are, when it comes to certainty, I already mentioned they, they need certainty. They want security and they view their environment as more powerful than them and unfavorable. And so again, their powerless emotion being fear that uh, they by and large are more concerned about understanding what is so that they can figure out how to be right. And, you know, uh, it's, if you were to think of it as a weapon, C's like to be snipers, right? They take their time, they find what is, and they, they thread the needle through the existing battlefield so that they can be right. And they, they know that they've pulled the trigger at exactly the right time in exactly the right way. They, uh, again, I mentioned they're slow to change and they're data hounds and they're internal processors. There's some, some, you know, stuff inside of there that, uh, you know, when you can internal processes versus external processors. So because I'm an, I, I am obviously, I'm even external processing right now. Um, I talk, I talk, I talk, I talk, I talk. But uh, I just had a scenario yesterday where I talked for about four hours and then my head started to hurt and I immediately shift modes to being an internal processor. And internal processor does not necessarily mean that you go in the corner and you sit in thinker pose and you think. Internal processors often busy themselves with something else. So in my case, I went and mowed the lawn. Right. And then I, uh, I made my lunch for work and then I took a shower and I, I don't, you know, the idea, uh, verbal processors want to talk and talk and talk and an internal processor, especially C's and S's, if you need that time, you know, and a verbal processor is trying to get you to talk the reality, knowing that you just need to go, go read a book, go watch the TV and let your subconscious mind do its work. And we'll see here in a second the power of the subconscious mind um, doing its work uh, with the creative process in the individual by Thomas Troward. So how does a C who wants data and is deliberate and everything like that, how does a C find a path to enlightenment? Speaking from experience, I can tell you that that book, The Creative Process in the Individual by Thomas Troward is the most incredible book. I read that book on an airplane ride back from Denver and I was in tears because my spiritual journey had brought me to this place where I was starting to draw conclusions about how the world worked 
and how the universe worked, but I could not find any evidence outside of my own thoughts and my own teachings to kind of prove that I was right. And of course, being right is a big deal to a C. And I finally came across Thomas Troward and I started, it was as if I was reading my own, my own thoughts on a page in this book, although it was in old English. So it, it, I was in tears on this plane. I was, <laughs> I was in the middle, I got caught in the middle of a whole gaggle of college uh, cheerleaders that were on their way back from the X Games in in, uh, in Aspen, I think. And so I've got my headphones in and I'm reading my book and I'm like crying and they're all, you know, they're having a good time and <laughs> being rowdy and I'm like right in the middle of them. <laughs> it was an interesting experience. So the creative process of the individual um, and pretty much all of Thomas Troward's stuff is, I highly recommend it for you data hounds. One of the major pros is that it is the most detailed explanation of the universe and in the universal laws that I have ever come across. And trust me, I've looked. Um, Raymond Charles Barker, which uh, I'm going to be recording an episode with Grant Porteous on the power of decision. He's also in there. And honestly, it's the new thought movement with Raymond Charles Barker, uh, Thomas Troward. Uh, Come on, I can't think of some of the guys' names off the top of my head. But uh, there's a, the New Thought Movement and the communicators of the New Thought Movement are very C-oriented. It's very logic, step-by-step, mental science. And um, I love it. I absolutely love it. So if you're a high C, check it out. Um, another pro for the creative process of the individual is it's an, it's an emphasizes the internal mechanisms for change. So it doesn't really focus so much on you know, build your five-step program and go change the world. It actually teaches you and proves to you the law of attraction and the law of creation and vibration that what you think creates your world. And it unpacks for you the creative process in the individual. Imagine that. That's the title of the book. But it emphasizes it as the internal mechanisms. So C's largely being internal processors can change their world without saying a word. And that's essentially, if you were to boil it all down, that's, that's, that's what it is. We're changing our world all the time, and we're not using words to do it. We're using our subconscious vibration. Um, and then the other pro for creative processes is it inserts conscientiousness into existing systems. So basically, the existing systems are the universal laws, and it basically teaches you how to insert your intent. And C's love being intentional. Like, they love looking at what is, and figuring out how to intentionally engage with it. And this looks at the universe as a whole and says, now here's how you as one person can intentionally engage with the universe and how it works. So those are the pros of the creative process. The cons, the cons for the C on the creative process of the individual is that often there's a creative time delay. And, you know, so you're working on your visualization or your law of attraction stuff. And you think, okay, I did it. And now that you have the right answer, it feels like it should exist. And yet there's a delay for the universe to bring it to you. And a C can very easily interpret that as failure. I didn't do it right. I'm not good enough at this. I failed at being human <laughs> because my the time delay between what I'm creating intentionally and, and it's showing up in my life is too long and I must have done it wrong. So that shame and that failure 
that fear of failure can kind of come in the backside with the creative process because you can perceive a time delay as being failure. And along with that is, so C's like all the data and they like coming up with the right answer. And here's the thing with the creative process of the individual. It is trusting that God or the universe knows better what it is that you need, how you need it, when you need it than you do. And a C likes to tell God, no, this is what I need. This is how I need it. And this is when I need it. And when you study the creative process, you'll realize that over specification of what it is that you're asking the universe for will actually either cause serious delay or make it so specified that that you're not working with the laws in the first place. And so a C knows what the right answer is. And often the universe says, nope, this is the right answer. You don't know what the right answer is, Mr. Austin. You think you know what the right answer is. Do you trust that God knows the best answer? And so that it can be a con for you know the pros and cons. It can be a con for the C's that they think they know the right answer. And really it's the universe or it's God that knows the best answer. And letting go of that can be a challenge. Letting go of trying to do the math and letting God take care of what is the best answer. Because you can't calculate that. You cannot calculate all the infinite possibilities of how you might find a million dollars. There's just so many ways it can happen. You cannot make it specifically be X, Y, and Z. And so finding the best way can be a bit of a challenge to a C because it often doesn't make sense. With that comes the trap. The, the trap for the creative process in the individual is it's easy to conflate mental ascent with energetic vibration, meaning I know the right answer, you know, C's love having the right answer. So knowing it mentally can feel like, why isn't my life changing? I, I know all the right answers. I know all the right answers. I know all the right answers. Well, good for you. It's not the same as having a subconscious vibration of living those answers. I know myself and a lot of C's that I know struggle with why is not having the right answer in my head? Why is it not good enough? Why am I still poor? Why am I still fat? Why am I still single? Whatever it is, this knowledge of the right answer can become a trap to frustration and then a sense of failure because I know the right answers, but my life isn't changing. So therefore I'm a failure and I'm doing it wrong and blah, blah, blah. And so this is a very serious trap that I've seen some people get into that really can, can can be hard to shake, that it becomes such an identity of failure that uh, because they know the right answers and their life isn't reflecting it, I really encourage you, if you're a C and you're trying to get into these things, the number one thing you can do is give yourself grace and understand that there's time delay and understand, again, the, that the universe knows what's best. And so the better you get at letting go of what you have defined being the right answer and attaching yourself to the right vibration, right? How do you feel about something, not what do you think about something? And if you can attach yourself to the right vibration, then the answers and how they're fulfilled will take care of themselves. So the trap is conflating mental ascent with energetic vibration. They're not the same thing. Just because you know the right answer doesn't mean you're vibrating at the right level. 
So that is the creative process in the individual, the overview, and last but not least, every personality's. Uh, this it's really the reason I did these is because I realized there are some tools out there that just were not going to work for me. And there's a tools out there that I was recommending for people that just was not working for them. I was recommending the four agreements to so many people because I'm an I and I know multiple people who are S or D or even C. They're like, dude, this is not, this is not really resonating with me. It's not working. And so as you guessed it, the, tool that will probably be difficult if you're a high C is the is the four agreements or the five agreements, the Toltec wisdom tradition. tradition. And the reason being is because one, I don't know, it's, I hesitate to say this one because the four agreements is written, all those books are written so incredibly well. As a C, I enjoyed them tremendously. But as a C, they were very simple. And so if you're a high C, see, for me, the I kind of made it like, well, but it's fun. So, but if you're a high C, if like say you're a CS, like my wife, you know, the four agreements, while it can be informative, it's not very inspiring and it doesn't really resonate uh, on the level that, that makes sense for a high C because it's too simplistic. It's, it's almost seems like for children, uh, C's like really complicated stuff. And the four agreements is so simple. It's literally four agreements. And it's so common sense. The first chapter of the four agreements talks about the domestication of humanity and how we were all raised and trained to think what we think, believe what we believe, you know, view things the way we do. And if we were raised in a different time or a different place, that we would think different things and believe different things. And it's this really beautiful extended chapter of the domestication process that we've all gone through. And yet it's like, by the end of it, you're like, well, I kind of already knew that. I didn't think about it that clearly, and it's really clear, but it's really simple. And so it doesn't resonate with C's because it's not really filled with data. It's just rephrasing what you already know. Um, so it's a bit simplistic for most C's. And uh, there <laughs> there's another well, another challenge for C's with the four agreements is that Don Miguel and the Toltec was in perdition, they, they kind of teach essentially that there's no such thing as the right answer that all answers are are simply a domestication or they are a distortion they are the dream that we're all building because we're all dreaming and we're all agreeing with certain dreams and having our own dreams and so the the flexibility within the four agreements is that essentially there's no right answers everything's okay and it's all good and of course c's want to be the, they want to know the right answer and they want to be certain. And the four agreements uh, establishes a huge, huge heaping spoonful of uncertainty and there's no such thing as being right. And so for those two, for those three reasons, it's too simplistic, there's no right answers and there's too much uncertainty. For those three reasons, if you're a high C, I recommend... If you're high C, you're going to read the four agreements anyways because you want the data. <laughs> but then you're going to get to the end of it and you're going to feel like you read a children's book. And it's going to not have all of the detail that you wanted and all the how-tos. So then switch over. you know. So read your four agreements because you're going to do it anyway. Uh, that's what I did. And then switch over to the creative process and the individual if you really want to sink your teeth into something filled with data and, and know-how and the science of it all. For me, 
I took my I and my C and I said, I love the four agreements and it's the I part of me loves it. But the C part of me is going to go read everything that the Toltec wisdom tradition has ever written. <laughs> There's like 13 books. I've read them all at least twice. That's the C in me playing off of the I that says, I love this, this thought process, but I'm going to get all the information that they've got. <laughs> so... Um, again, next week, I'm going to go into how some of these play together. I've been kind of hinting towards some of what I'm going to teach. And, and uh, you know, uh, one of the ones I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of sharing and unpacking is like what the, the definition of work is for these different personality. Fl- you know, I've been working really hard. <laughs> when a D walks into an office and sees a bunch of eyes talking for four hours and they, they, the D thinks that they've gotten nothing done and the eyes think they've been working their butts off. <laughs> So uh, what the definition of work is and how these things interplay together, some tips and tricks and uh, around, you know, even even boxing yourself in or uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure everything that I'm going to go on in the next episode, but it is essentially going to be a wrap up of these four uh, personality types and kind of how they interplay with reality and how real people act because most of these last four episodes have been emphasis emphasizing uh high d's you know the high level versions of the personalities and most of us aren't that high on those and so uh yeah just hopefully going to give you some more food for thought and uh that it turns out well and then after that we're going to start getting into some tools we're going to get into uh the law of attraction we're going to get into radical honesty a bit more we're going to get into uh, the power of decision, uh, the culture of honor. I may even touch a little bit on uh, Tom Brown and some of his uh, some of his uh, way he teaches. I, I think he's very much also in line with helping people find enlightenment. I'm not sure how many tools I'll get into. There's a lot of them. There's some that I really love, some that I know are useful for other people, not so much for me. Uh, but the tools will probably take us close to the holidays and. Um, then this series will be over. So I hope you are enjoying it. I hope you are realizing that enlightenment, uh, as a reminder, enlightenment is heaven on earth and transcending the human limitations that we've given ourselves. And that does mean things like astral projection or trans relocating or walking on water, uh, divine prophetic insights. I mean, I like the ability to fully engage with what you're capable of and enter into other worlds and realms and capabilities uh, along with heaven on earth that uh, you know I, I we had the new age christianity uh, private group monthly call two nights ago and i kind of asked the question of the group if you if you woke up today and your existing life your existing life and you were enlightened and you looked around and you realized that nothing that was going on was a problem and that you were living in heaven. Even if you still have the same quote-unquote problem, you still have the same bills, the same relational challenges, the same health challenges, and you realize nothing was a problem. And you truly, energetically, truly, truly, truly woke up and there was no problems to solve. And then the next day, and then the next day, what you're describing is heaven on earth. You're describing the kingdom of heaven within you. And so true enlightenment is not about changing the world. 
the wor- true enlightenment is seeing the world in a changed way. And you changing your internal world and how you relate to the external, how you view the external, and transcending the limitations of this world. So uh, hopefully you've heard a couple of these episodes, these last four episodes, resonating with you. And uh, I know some of you who have bought these books already, if you would consider you know, buying these books off of the website, uh, newagechristianity.org. If you would consider donating and keep us keep these tools and resources going, I'm unable to follow through with some of the projects that I've wanted to because the income is just not there right now. Um, I'm having to I've had to go back to work uh, part time as a stonemason, which I enjoy the work, but uh, I would much rather be building classes for you guys and upgrading the website and planning conferences and stuff uh, if the funds were there. So if you would consider donating or at least purchasing these books through the website. Uh, another thing you can do, I always forget to mention this, but if you go to smile.amazon.com, it will have you select a nonprofit organization that you can support through every purchase. And uh, our my nonprofit organization is Category 5 Ministries. Uh, so if you could, you know, you could select that. Um, even just a basic shopping trip on Amazon, there's a front link on the front page of the website that will take you there and, you know, get credit for uh, the organization will get credit for that as well. And so on and so forth. I appreciate your guys' time. As always, we are busy. There's a lot going on in life. And to take the time out of your day to listen to these episodes means a lot. I think we're up to, you know, a little over 100 people a week. Uh, So the community is growing. And like these uh, posts on Facebook, share them with your friends. And um, don't be afraid to to come out of the closet. Come out of the New Age Christian closet, and if you have a, you know, we have that on that private group uh, on Facebook. If you got questions, if you're not sure what to do, if you want to introduce people to like-minded individuals, send them over there, and we can love on them and help them feel welcome and uh, journey together. So, God bless you guys. I will see you next week when we talk about all of these different. Uh, interpersonal dynamics with the personality profiles and how they relate together and how people are really human. Remember, if anything is true, there's a way in which it is true. And so if I've finished these four agree, these four, <laughs> four agreements, if I finish these four personality profiles and nothing really resonates with this is, you know, yeah, Austin, that's totally me. Um, understand that I've, I have stayed at the high level of the four and that there's a lot of dynamics underneath that, that that people can have sub-personality traits and everything like that. So uh, don't feel discouraged if I didn't describe you to a T. Uh, maybe next week I will. But just understand, if anything's true, there's a way in which it is true. And enlightenment and the path to it uh, is going to find a very specific thumbprint, a very specific fingerprint and DNA to, for your journey. And follow intuition, follow spirit. And if I haven't recommended the right resource, he will he will recommend the right resource. Um, that's how these all came to me, is just by following intuition and following spirit. And uh, I'm doing my best to pass on and shortcut your journey so you can go further faster. Nonetheless, there is so much more out there. There are so many more resources out there that uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more reports from people in this community who found other resources that have helped them get closer into enlightenment. 
And uh, hopefully within a, within a few days, we'll just be a whole bunch of enlightened people walking around in the clouds. Just kidding. Maybe a few years. We'll see. God bless you guys. I hope you have a great week and see you next week. Bye.